Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Nebraska Preps postgame with Damon Benning and Jacob Padilla. I love the, bit, the big voice guy. Uh, this is Nebraska Preps postgame. That's Jacob Padilla. We're still friends. <laughs> it's early. Um, he did not take the bait. During the Suns-Lakers games yesterday, I replied with a very immature, huh? <laughs> and he did, I mean, it doesn't matter what kind of bait folks are using to fish, man. You're just not biting, are you? <laughs> hey, uh, and I, I made it as wishful thinking, that, that thought on, on that particular play. Uh, I'm, I'm a, I can acknowledge something I, like that. Listen, and you know what's funny? Like, your reputation precedes you because, like, when you're sharp and got it all buttoned up, You'll take a conversation into the night if you feel like it, but you—the fact you didn't say anything—it it it lightened me up. I was like, oh, you know, he he wasn't being like he wasn't one hundred percent serious or for real because you're not afraid to clap back. Like when yeah. you're right, you're going there. I gotta wait till a little bit later in the series. We'll see where it stands next week. Maybe I'll show up decked out in my son's gear or something like that. Got got to see where we're at. after one game. I'm not I'm not getting too excited, but it, it was encouraging the the way they played in that game for sure. So. The, the this is the har- I'm not gonna kid you. This is the hardest Laker team for me to like since the days of Eldon Campbell. <laughs> I'm talking it's- Scott Eldon Campbell, like not Byron, Tony Smith. I should say not Scott. Uh, it's not a real likable group, in my opinion. So this one is tough for me. You enjoyed cheering on Smush Parker. That was tough. <laughs> Sasha Vujovic, that, that, I mean, the pretty hair getting it, Kobe taking off his shoes on the <laughs> sidelines during a playoff game. That was hard. Hey, why are you bringing up old stuff? <laughs> I, I, you know, the, as soon as I think we get over the hump, you just pull me back in. Yeah. It, it is, it is a little crazy to me, like, uh, you're so much not a LeBron guy and the fact that he's on your team and it's hard for you to enjoy it. Yeah. Like, as someone, I've, uh, LeBron's been one of my favorite players in the league. Loved watching him play. Um, and he's the kind of guy that I do like. Guys that do everything. Great passers. Um, th- those are the kind of guys that I enjoy watching. Kind of the, the, the triple threat um, or triple double threat type of thing. Guys that can impact the game in so many different ways. And LeBron's long been one of my favorite players in the league. And uh, the antics get get a little much at times. But I'm see, I'm okay. Like I can kind of. Some of that stuff doesn't really bother me if I like your game and uh, I, I like you as a guy or whatever. Like, and obviously he's never really uh, for, for as long as he's had the spotlight on him, he's never really screwed up like so many others have. So, like that, that's that that stuff like a little annoying. It doesn't bother me too much though. I was like, oh, I'll just focus on something else. Let me let me. So you're right, kind of. <laughs> um, as good it is. As good an ambassador as he's been for the game for so long with very few off-the-court missteps. Agree or disagree with some of his political stances, but as far as carrying the torch for the NBA, outside of the decision and China, 
but that's still more political, hasn't had very many missteps for the amount of pressure he has to represent the league. So, yes, I'm with you there. Handled a ton of pressure. That being said, if I was 6'9", 260, (laughs) I would not throw myself on the ground near that much. (laughs) Right? Like, like why would you do that? It's just not necessary. So it drives me crazy. It drives me crazy. And, yeah, it is really annoying, especially when it happens against your team. And you're like, come on, how can you not see what's happening there? But so many guys do it now that I have a hard time single out any one person and holding like that person (laughs) in uh, especially responsible or um, whatever. So yeah, like that man, that that whole uh, technical situation, that was bizarre campaign getting thrown out. That whole sequence is just insane. So I missed the first part. And in case you're wondering what you're listening to, this is Nebraska Preps (laughs) post game with your seven minutes of NBA talk. But when he first shoved, um, Caruso, which, by the way, I'm a fan because uh, Mr. Vipon, who teaches at North, uh, that is his nephew. And oh. he's one of the really good – Vipon is one of the great guys at Omaha North. So he's turned us on to Caruso for years. So um, when he first shoved him, I didn't see it because the angle yeah. was bad. Yep. I did see the ball kind of rolling after he threw it at him. But Montrez Harold to get out of that scot free was kind of interesting. So, yeah. So part of like just what we're talking about, like people throwing themselves around, that thing elevated because of so Chris did not hit LeBron that hard. He did not send him flying. Campaign did not hit Caruso that hard. You could see him taking a little push to send himself um sliding across the court. And LeBron or uh Harold did truck. <laughs> um campaign after that though that was a real reaction even though we tried to catch like catch him like oh i'm just breaking up or whatever like i don't know what the heck that deal was just running like dude you're 6'9 250 and you're just running over the dude like it is interesting that they found all of those actions basically identical is if you listen to the explanation they basically just handle out two techs to cam for the shove and the ball one tech to caruso for the going in and knocking the ball free and, and pushing cam or whatever and then one tech for Harold running him over. So everybody just got a tech in that play. Cam just happened to get both of them for uh, Phoenix, and he does need that. Phoenix would have came out on top of that if he simply held on to the ball instead of chucking it at him. So here's the deal. Let me let me transition a little bit into high school because yeah. the the NBA game is is uh, is vastly different from the way the high school game is played, especially when it comes to some of the ISO ball and and a little bit of. Um, the analytics, right? Good shot, bad shot. Either it's either something at the rim or a three in the NBA. When you look at, like, the high school game, have you noticed over the last two or three years, four probably, because I'm going back to one of my kiddos with the with the head throwing yeah. and the initiating contact off the dribble, have you noticed any carryover from what you see happening in the NBA to what you've seen on the high school and the youth level? There's always going to be some of that. Kids are always going to try to imitate what they see, the, the best that are doing it right now. That they're going to like, they're going to be watching YouTube videos. They're going to be um, out there trying to practice the, those same moves. 
Like, heck, the, the Harden step-back three, which... Oh, my so. gosh. Ruined the game for five years. <laughs> like, it, it ruined youth basketball for five years, but that's okay. <laughs> it's funny. I, I get, saw Get it. off my lawn. <laughs> I saw a kid pull that in, in a game against my team last summer and uh, wasn't close to making it, but... Um, got called for travel on it, and yeah. he's like, and he's like complaining to the ref after. It's like, yeah, the, the gather step rules. I don't think they're the same in the NBA as they are at lower levels. So, but th- like little things like that. Um, I think a lot of the like the shot selection and all that kind of stuff. That's more from the coaches coming on down. There's like you just watch like watching throughout the metro, watching throughout the state, or whatever. You can see there are some programs that really stress shot selection versus others that, that don't really. And kind of a lot of times that will correlate to, to success to a certain degree. So, um, so it's kind of a mix of the way the game as a whole is going and the way it's being taught versus kids on their own trying to learn and copy and imitate some of the stuff that they're seeing the pros do. Rapid fire, but because you're, you're bright, um, when, you, when you want a consummate high school point guard, and you want him to look at somebody's game, let's say at the NBA level. Who does Jacob Padilla gravitate towards? I, <laughs> you can't say Steve Nash. Let's say yeah. let's stay current. It, Everybody well, wants a Nash. I'll, the other the point guard on my team right now Chris is Chris Paul. Paul. Um, and just the the decision making, the way that he doesn't turn the ball over. Monte Morris, if you're looking for kind of a lower profile guy, like he is one of the best decision makers we've ever seen. Like his assist turnover ratio is just historic. Um, so back up for um, nuggets. nuggets there. So um, um, Iowa State, know, Fred Hoiberg guy there. Uh, the reason why I like that is because I compare, sometimes I compare Caleb to Monte Morris a ton, especially when Caleb is feeling like he doesn't want to shoot the basketball. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I compare him a lot to Monte Morris. What about like the evolution of these stretches? Because there's a difference between like, I wouldn't even call Bam Adebayo a stretch. He's not. He's just a. It's a very active big. Let's say uh, you know, an Anthony Davis is playing small. He's not playing the five for the Lakers. And um, give me a stretch four. Um, gosh, I almost want to say Julius Randle, but he doesn't shoot it well enough. Well, this year he has. Like I know he, yeah. this is. But then we saw yesterday that's yeah. the Julius Randle that the Lakers had moved on from. Yeah. What about for for those for those tweener bodies? You see, it's not like you're going to turn a guy like Will Kyle or or uh, I guess Trout isn't a good example because he is kind of stretchy. But these fours that are really athletic, really active, who who's like a template that that you'd like? Yeah, that's tough right now, and that's kind of where the game is at this point. Where because there's you, a big difference between yeah. like let's say Luke Jungers and and Will Kyle. Although for all intents yeah. and purposes, they will be being recruited kind of as, as the same right yeah and the because of where the game is going it does get a little bit tougher for those guys that aren't 610 611 like to be a, a 68 center it's a little bit tougher this year generally those guys used to be power forwards where you could still kind of have the same skill set as a center but be okay at the four at the next level and uh going into the pros it's changed a little bit now where depending on the coach like there's still a lot of coaches that don't require shooting from their front court, um, but there aren't as many of them. And so that's kind of where you really do have to, if you're kind of one of those tweener guys, like what we've seen with Jason Green, 
throughout his whole career. Uh, great call. He's the From guy that... From a yeah. stretchy yeah. four, still needing an elite skill. Yeah, and, and so there's, it's still a work That's in progress, but throughout his development, they, uh, his family and he and his coaches, they didn't want to pigeonhole him into being a post. Yeah. They've had him handling the ball. They've had him working on the shot. Again, he still needs to kind of take that next leap to, to really excel at the next level in those roles, but they've given him the foundation to work off of because they saw the way the game was going and they understood that we don't want him to be, yeah, he, he's taller than all the other kids in his class at a younger age, but we don't want to pigeonhole him into having to be a five and not having the necessary skills to help himself s- succeed. So it, it is kind of tougher now, and, and that's why we do see, especially at the youth level, so many, so much of, like I know this is big at OSA where it, it's positionless. Like a lot of the offense they run, a lot of the drills they do, everybody goes through everything. You still, like, if you've got good post players, you, you, um, you, you take advantage of that. You give them opportunity to do what they do well. But when you're going through practice, everybody goes through the same drills. Um, we play a lot of four-out, a lot of five-out type offense for um, all, of our pro, all of our teams in the program for the most part. So um, that's kind of the way the game has shifted to trying to give those guys that are tweeners a better chance to succeed. Are you a ball screen guy or not a ball screen guy? So it's funny. I am because Steve Nash, uh, watching that coming up, that's why I fell in love with the game. I haven't really had kids that have been great with ball screens, though. Honestly, my brother's probably the best, like, ball screen uh, passer that I've had. And um, it was back in middle school when I was coaching him. So um, we, we, I've always, I always have a ball screen off or play within my offense to go to. uh, And, like, especially if, Team's got a big guy that don't think he can move very well. I'm calling that quite often. But never really had one where, all right, we're going to run spread, pick, and roll the whole game because um, th- that just hasn't really been the skill set of the guys that I've had. If you're a below-the-rim guy, let, let's just let's get to Nebraska, right? I mean, Nebraska high school, because this is kind of what we've seen evolve over the last four or five years. And when I say below-the-rim, I, I mean like not a high flyer. I mean like a Josh Dix uh, who obviously has bounce, yeah. not getting into the particulars, uh, a Tate Advati, guys like that. What's the what are what are some of the what are some non-negotiable skills you think that those guys got to have? I think a huge one is balance. When you're going to the rim, you're staying on balance. You're sh- you're square to the rim. You're able. To, so even if you have to contort your body, extend whatever, you're on balance so you can put up a makeable shot. That's the first thing. Like that, you see so many kids that kind of just fly at the rim out of control and throw stuff up hoping to get a foul call. You, you need to go to the rim, not expecting to get a call, put up a makeable shot. If you get a call, great. Use your body, kind of carve out that space. But I think that's huge is You know who's the, the really balance. good at that? You know, underappreciated because people get so mad at him because he plays so hard, but keeping it on the high school level, that's O'Malley. Yeah. Yeah. And gets downhill, finds a way to finish – from, oh, good touch. From, from a Creighton, yeah. from Creighton Prep. Yeah. He's just crafty with the basketball around. And just, the, the, Josiah the Dosler, too, has gotten really good at that at, um, w- when his ability to take the contact, extend, finish. Like, um, when he's got the space to work with and he's making good decisions, he's a, like a, that, uh, that, that, that recruit look weekend we, we talked about way back, that yeah. first week against that Colorado Hawks game. He had like four, five, and ones just because the change of speed the acceleration and the extend and finish, taking absorbing the contact with the body, carving out space to get that shot up. Um, so it's and you mentioned Tate. Tate's got a really unique game with his ability to kind of I, extend. I think so. He almost and finish. 
so we've I'm obviously quite a bit older than you, but you're almost going to be in double digit years. I've watched this for oh, 21 years. He's it's hard to find a comp for Tate Oddbody. Oh yeah. It is very hard to find a comp for him. People ask me about him all the time because Westside's getting a lot of run yeah. as a team next year. And by the way, I would make Bellevue West number one. Um, I would probably make Prep two. I know that's not going to be popular. A lot of people like Westside. And then I'd probably make Westside three. That would kind of be my preseason, just knowing what I know. We can get into yeah. that in a little bit. But um, I don't have a comp for him. He's a very good shooter. He defies analytics because of his mid-range game. People think those aren't good shots, but he's kind of like DeRozan or maybe a Kawhi Leonard where he makes a fair amount of 12 to 15-footers. He's a no, 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 yes guy. <laughs> I don't really have a comp for him. And he's one of the, like we were talking about, he was about his height in sixth grade or so like he was way ahead of the pack back then and he was playing like a big over the last three four five years he's really worked on developing those perimeter skills and it's kind of resulted in a unique game and because he's not lightning quick with the ball not uh, necessarily an advanced ball handler but he's so good at again finding ways to get shots up around around the basket and and making it work so there are a lot of guys that are like that just kind of unique games but um, that's kind of how I think of when I think of a guy like Landon Pekorski too. Like, I don't, when I look at him, I don't see like one elite skill, yeah. right? Yeah. Not an elite ball handler, not an elite shooter. Uh, he used to have elite size and strength, but now it's, Catching he's the up, yeah. youngest on a high end of a totem pole at the high school level, but just very crafty. Right? Like, can find angles. He can play through contact. And he's got good feel. And that's a huge part of it is he can read situations. He can make the right pass when he's running the pick and roll, when he's getting downhill to kick it out or to go finish himself. Um, he's got some good moves that he can go to to set up the defender to get to the basket. And that's kind of how you produce the kind of season he did as a freshman where he efficient from three, efficient inside the arc, pretty good from the free throw line. A few assists here and there, a couple boards here and there, double-digit score as a freshman. That That's pretty rare to have that kind of complete of a stat line at the Class A level. How do you evaluate with with, with high school coming up, right? These guys will take the summer or, or June off. We're into high school. How do you compare and contrast and evaluate the two? Because I like to equate it. We talked a little bit off pod where I say, you know, sometimes summer high school basketball can be a lot like a spring game, right? Where you always have these stars where it doesn't translate into the regular season. How how does Jacob Padilla look at the high school selection process, not selection, the high school stretch here in June as you try to evaluate where programs are? And we, we talked. I'll see you in every gym because yeah. that's what we do. Yeah, and we talked previously about kind of how AU and, um, and high school ball kind of can work together to help the kids kind of produce – um, give them more opportunities and help them improve their overall uh, games. And th- there are a lot of kids, whether it's because of depth in the program or fit or whatever, that just for whatever reason, they're a pretty solid basketball player, but they just never really kind of crack into the rotation with their high school team. And I've coached a couple kids like this where 
Um, they had a really good summer for me playing against their, their age level, playing uh, against our competition level, and then um, go to high school. One wasn't able to ever crack the rotation, and the other ended up getting cut before senior year. And he was my best player that summer. Um, great how program. How much kid. does officiating have to do with it? It's a little loose in the summer. Yeah. Not, it, not like that in the fall. Is that like what are. It's, walk, walk us through what you think some of those indicators are. It's definitely a little different, especially because you've got that third uh, ref in the high school game, whereas most of the time outside of the big games, you're only going to have two um, in, in the AU. Guys aren't going to be as by the book strict to every single little thing. So you can get away with a lot more. Um, so there, there is a little bit different there in style of play, especially, I mean, there's some coaches that, that don't follow my philosophy, but I don't run a strict system. Like I, the, the way I play is I give them, I try to get the kids in space and let them make decisions, let them make plays, show what they can do. That's kind of how I view summer ball is give the kid a chance to learn and show what they can do. Um, and be in the situation where they can make decisions and react live to what the defense is throwing at them and try to make the right play. High school, uh, a lot of coaches are a lot more strict about their system running what they want you to do. There's a lot more control. I, obviously, the, the, the shot clock discussion we, we've had kind of plays into Which that. It's going to be interesting in 2022 for if we do, in fact, get some yeah. guinea pigs. And you've got, what, four or five coaches on the bench, so you, each guy are looking at little different things. So, like, if, if one of the coaches, oh, he, he messed up here, a lot of time the kids will get yanked. So, it mentally, the high school game is so much different than summer ball where you can just go out and play. Um, and I think that's the biggest difference is kind of the mental side of it versus just the overall talent, skill, ability side of it. If you could move one closer to the other, would you move summer closer to winter or would you move winter closer to summer? That's, <laughs> um, I'd probably yeah, probably do a little bit of both because – there are extremes in both. I, I would probably move winter closer to summer. And that's I, kind I, of... I, I really would. If, and, like, forced yeah. to choose, I, I would move that way. I like a little bit more free-flowing. I 100% agree with you. Like, so that's kind of where I was going. I didn't necessarily want to say it because we know a lot of coaches who probably aren't going to agree with us. that's fine. But, I, hey, yeah. you know, I, but that makes the world go around, yeah. right? Because if we all thought the same, there would be no growth. Yeah, and, I, I, and it, in both ways, there, there are extremes in both. There are so many, there are a lot of AAU programs that match the stereotype. Then there are a lot that, are play, um, that play good basketball that teach the kids the right way. There are, there's a lot of that out there, so it's not all the stereotypical uh, run and gun, nobody's playing defense, no, like all that kind of stuff. Um, then on high school, it's not all control freak coaches. Like there are some out there, but... There are a lot of coaches that do, like, as long as you're doing your job, you do get to play a little bit. So it's kind of give and take there. Don't uh, you, like, as a basketball guy, don't those extremes drive you crazy? Because, listen, Izzo went through a stretch where they were grabbing the ball out of the rim. They were pushing tempo. They were pushing pace. They still were able to guard. North Carolina, top 10 almost every year in defensive efficiency, taking the ball out of the rim and pushing pace. Like, you can play free-flowing and still guard if that's really how you coach. I mean, I the team that everybody talks about, the 15s for Adidas, pretty free-flowing offense, but you cannot play if you don't guard. Like, you can it doesn't have to be, 
loosey goosey, whistle never yeah. blows in the summer versus okay, three officials don't pass up a good shot to get a better shot. Give me, you know, Norman Dale seven pa- five passes. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be like that either. Exactly, and I think that's ultimately what we're trying to get towards. As a Hoosiers reference over there, <laughs> Sasha and Keisha were like Norman Dale, like, you know, you know, Jacob's brothers, a lot like Jimmy Chitwood. You know, anyway. I actually did see Hoosiers for the first time. I think during the quarantine pandemic period, all that. So, listen, no judgment zone here. <laughs> your your boy has still never seen Pulp Fiction. Nope, start to finish. Um, I I just watched Caddyshack like three years ago. Haven't seen him. Saw Fletch over Christmas nope. break because one Gary Sharp like held a gun to my <laughs> head. I was forty four years old when I saw the that movie. So I listen. No judgment zone here. It's fine, man. We're busy. We like sports. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. There's always most of the time. There's always something, some live sports on TV to watch, and hard to get back to to TV and movies and stuff. For the coaches, how do you think? Okay, so. Let's, uh, whose feelings won't we hurt? Um, let's take Fekin, um, Gretna, right? Can has played a couple of different ways. Yes. He has the guys, he'll play tempo, doesn't have the guys. We saw him this year value almost every possession with the ball. We saw him. What year was that where they beat Platteview in the opener with Brady Hyman and they squeezed? Every possession. Well, the year before, they were getting up and down the court, right? Uh, so a guy like that that can play a couple of different ways. How do you think these coaches should use summer to get them ready for the season? Can How much evaluating do you think you can do? That, and that's kind of, I think, ultimately what coaches are trying to figure out. All right, where's the balance here between doing what we really want to do and not necessarily throwing everything out there and giving different guys chances. Because it is, I kind of liken Summer League to, say, like NBA preseason or whatever, where you're giving your starters a chance to get out there, let them play together. But then you're also bringing in these these street free agents, you're bringing in your rookies, and giving them a chance to get out there and kind of get in the mix and show show you what they can do. So you do have summer where guys that probably aren't going to end up playing a ton get a chance to play quite a bit, and then you can kind of learn, all right, where is this player at within his development? Is he a guy that we can count on for this year, or is he a guy that's going to be down the road? Um, so that's, that's again, we watch a ton. Um, it, it is definitely educational to see um, these kids kind of where they're at, how they're playing together, but you can't necessarily draw too much from it because different programs have different levels of continuity from the, the season to the summer to the season. There are a lot of... Uh, a lot of teams that have multi-sport kids, football kids that aren't out there uh, versus others that have like their whole top seven almost um, and are playing every summer event. Um, I mean, that's we, we talked about kind of Millard South last summer, even like Lance oh, they Walker. Were, they were yeah. fantastic in the summer. Yeah. I watched them. They beat Bellevue West. They were yep. playing at a really, really high level. It's really free-flowing. And then they get off the kind of start that they did, and people are wondering – if Coach Lucian forgot how to coach, yeah. I'm like, and I would tell you, they're very capable. Yeah. And I watched them do a number on West Side right before they started district play, and lo and behold, they wind up in state. Like, yeah. it's kind of weird like that. And sometimes it's, it's as simple as confidence, where um, I think some of those guys, they, they were playing well, shots were falling down, they were feeling good during the summer. 
shots didn't fall early in the year and it kind of it kind of got to them and it took a while for them to kind of find an offensive rhythm a lot of those guys didn't shoot the ball as well as they're capable of so that's a big part of it too and I think that's huge that's a part of what summer can do for you it can help you build up that confidence especially if you're a younger player trying to break through and get into the mix to play at the varsity level you go out there you hit a couple shots here and there you make a nice play and you're feeling good about yourself like okay I can do this and that is the kind of stuff that can carry over into the high school season, into whatever level you're going to end up playing. All right, two quick things because it's a podcast. We can go over time. We both agree with Auburn NC high school. I think we agree. I don't want to put words in your mouth. They're the fave. Yeah, um, I haven't looked at all the rosters. They obviously, they're losing quite a bit with their two best players, but they've got um, some young guys too within their program, obviously the way he coaches. Who's the favorite in B? <laughs> oh boy uh probably scott honestly i think uh even though they may not they probably don't have the best individual player yes but may have the best collection because there's a guy in 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 wahoo and there's a guy in springfield platteview <laughs> both those guys in glock and milliken are pretty good wahoo going back to b i can't keep track <laughs> i think right isn't that I, I can't. They're bouncing back and forth. They were they were B two years ago. This this year, this past year, they were they were C one again. If it goes they, in dual schedules, then they may be back in C one. I thought they wanted to play B, but and so yes, um, I think the thing is like Platteview's got the best talent. They're losing Tyler Riley, who was a big P. He was their their second. He was the first part of the law firm. Uh, and so Alex Draper's coming back. He, he was only a sophomore. So they've got some young pieces too. But it, it was Riley. It was Riley, uh, Milliken, and Draper. That just sounded the best for yeah. the law firm. So <laughs> even though yeah. Milliken was was the man, you know you're going to get 25 to 30 out of Connor in any given game. Draper will give you 10 to 15. How many more points do you need, and where's that going to come from? Gosh, That's going to be if he grows into that slight frame. Yeah, could be a really good player. So they've definitely got a chance. And the fact that they were I, you're safe they were ahead of schedule here. The, Scud, I think just the depth in their program. That's kind of where. They get kind of, we'll see if any of those guys are ready to take that, that next step and be, that, that's where um, kind of, that's the difference. You've got the top end talent in Connor Milliken versus Scott. You've got just a bunch of guys that can play. And but I also think this summer. this summer is, I don't want to, as note taking as it might be for Milliken has learned to defer and play a bunch of different ways. I think it'll serve him well at the high school level next year as as a facilitator too because he can go get a bucket anytime he wants to oh for sure and teams are going to know that especially if you don't have to worry about riley now you you, they're going to be a lot of hard doubles you're going to be a lot of people putting at the rim against him so the ability to read kind of what they're doing and make the right play going back to where we started with dc west will be interesting too as i start to think about young talent coming up they're gonna be interesting ron collie will be interesting yeah, Ron Colley, I think, will be in the mix with um, with Jake Orr kind of leading that. They've, they've got a few kids that kind of got the experience this year that were Grew up, up and down. Grew up in a hurry, didn't yeah. they, after the slow start last year? Yeah. What about Class A? <laughs> yeah, we were talking about this. Um, I, I, I don't want to sway you. Yeah, no. I know I, you're, trying I, to, you're I, trying to batten down the expectations for Omaha Westside. I think, it's, I think you start with Bellevue West. I, listen, you know why I say that? Yeah. Let me just, I'm just going to keep it 100 because it's you and, and everybody <laughs> listening. There's something about being winners. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And it, it's not. And 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 listen, I 
Westside, the guys that are used to winning are a little younger. Now, what role they'll play going into next year, we'll see. But those the guys over off of 370 have won a lot of basketball games. And the depth they've gotten to the point now within that program where they just reload. Like, yes, you're losing one of the best players we've ever seen in Chucky Hepburn and Frankie Fiddler turned into an absolute monster. But all those other guys in that program, the young guys, the guys that are coming back, they've won two. They were right there Jayden along with it. Jackson, Will Kyle the third, Evan Inselman. Inselman. Josiah Dotes are kind of stepping back into that point guard role. They've got, they've that, got dudes. That's your preseason number one. I, and I and listen, and you know me. It's yeah. not like I'm not going to shy yeah. away from the competition. If I felt like it should be somebody other than Bellevue West, I would tell you. I think it's a little bit kind of like the discussion in college where Iowa was so highly ranked in the preseason because everything they brought back, versus, whereas there's some other programs that weren't as high that ended up being really good because – well, they were kind of unknowns. Whereas um, Westside, they're bringing everybody back. Like you don't, you you didn't lose a senior that actually played in, in the rotation. So you've got everybody back. It'll be interesting to see kind of how rules change. Are are you going to have somebody emerge to be that go to guy? That's what they were missing last year. They, they, they can't. Westside can't run it back the way that yeah. they did a year ago and be better. And just assume that because they brought everybody back, it's it's, not, it's, they're going to get it done. It's, it's not happening. Yes. Now equally as important is Josiah Oetzler is going to have to learn to go back to being the primary ball handler and the distributor, right? Getting Stuvie involved, getting Jaden Jackson involved, yep. making sure, you know, William Kyle keeps you honest by, cause you need post touches yeah. with those guys. And then someone still gets those good looks like they, they got bodies, right? I mean, they got guys. I still, I like, I kind of like prep. Again, the same deal with Bellevue West where it's just they kind of reload. Like they, they lose guys, other guys step up that whether they're JV, whether they're backups on varsity, they step up and they do make the leap almost every single year. Those guys if, if get you take a better. Top, if you take a top two, where do O'Malley and let's say Jungers, if you believe that those are the, yeah. their top two coming back, who do those two have to take a back seat to? That's, yeah, it's pretty solid. Um, I, I mean, I, maybe, maybe. Uh, Reggie and, and, and Chandler at Westside. Um, take your pick yeah. of, of Kyle the third, Inselman, yeah. Dotzler. Take two of those three. Like, who do they have to take a back I, seat to? The key will be what kind you. of leap Casey can make. Because we know uh, uh, Luke was their lean scorer this year, about 11 points a game, able to step out, stretch. Um, Casey was the spark plug off the bench. There's a difference between being the sixth man and now being one of your primary ball handlers, your go-to scorers. How about the defending state champs? They bring back Jason Green. You've got David. You've got Mosser. You've got, you've got a lot of guys in that program that have been chomping at the bit to play. But it's a lot. it reminds me a lot of Westside. A lot of talent. But the guys that are used to winning or a little younger outside of Jason Green. Exactly. And we will see. <laughs> We've kind of been waiting for it with Jason because of the guys he's played with his whole career. Now it's his chance to kind of step into that role and show 
all right, have you made the leap? Are you really good in any one of these areas? Can you be the primary scorer? Because he's never really been that. He's been the utility guy because of the the scoring around him. He's capable. He's so good defensively. Um, he, he crashed the glass. He can, he can make the extra pass to get a wide open shooter. Like he can do all those little things. Now he'll have a chance to hey, go get yourself a bucket. And we'll see kind of how he's developed in that area. Kind of the same thing with we were talking about with Josiah Dozier now. He's kind of taking the back seat, playing alongside Chucky, um, kind of moving off the ball. Now you get a chance to go back to be that, that that point guard, to be the guy that runs everything. Kind of how do you transition into that role? So it's going to be really interesting seeing so many different guys stepping into roles this year because we were losing such a phenomenal 2021 class where guys have had roles for multiple years and been really good in it. I, and I also do believe you'll have two Lincoln teams for sure in the preseason top 10 with Southwest and Pius. I like Hostrider. Uh-huh. At Pius, I know they lost a ton. That's a good team. They played 10 guys a year ago. Coach Spitschko will have them back. And Southwest was, if they're healthy, they're good. So add a lot of green. Pius, Southwest, and Gretna, who was young a year yeah. ago. A lot of green, no pun intended, in the <laughs> top 10, I think, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I don't think you can go wrong with any one of those. All those... All three of those teams have absolutely have the chance to make that leap. You had Jared Bohr going from Southwest to Pius transferring there. But then Southwest a, still has a, Ryland Smith, Ben Hunziker in the backcourt. Yeah, it's going to have to change. Like, you have to play a certain way within that program. But also, I mean, uh, we, we saw the way that Sam Horberger played this last year. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how he meshes with Coach Spitschka over there. And um, the like Brady Christensen's played really well this spring. Um, Christensen, both Haas riders. They've got size, got length, athleticism. Quietly, Brady Christensen, one of the better multi-sport athletes. And how about this? If if I had to buy some stock and I wanted to buy consistent, it may not yield a ton, but I'm not going to lose money. Coach Spitschka. Pencil that guy in for making a run late. Him and his staff, that's a well-coached bunch. I don't have any problems putting stock in yeah, those they, guys. They've, they've done a great job the last few years kind of building it to where – Hey, next group comes in. Uh, we know how we're going to play. It's going to be tough. We're not going down easy. All right. Well, you know what? You didn't disappoint. The man, the myth, the legend. We went NBA. We went a smidge of college. We went a ton of high school. We went rules, regulations. He's great at what he does. That's Jacob Padilla. I'm ODB. That's Sasha making sure that we're really good behind the scenes and we're all sorts of buttoned up. Don't miss next week. We'll almost be to week one. Of high school summer basketball. Almost Almost. There. A couple days away. Camps start for most schools on June 1st. That's Nebraska Preps post game. We'll be back next week. That's Jacob Padilla. I'm ODB. A Huda Media Production.